This is Parsha Panorama. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Bamidbar. It is also the opening of a brand new Sefer, Sefer Bamidbar, also known as Chumash Apikudim, which is the Hebrew equivalent of the classical title, Book of Numbers, um, the classical English title anyway. There are a lot of numbers in Sefer Bamidbar, but we're actually going to spend more time focusing on the more simple name, which is Bamidbar. Um, some like to refer to it as Bimidbar, and this is because the opening Pasik refers to the census that took place when Hashem spoke to Moshe, Moshe Bimidbar Sinai, um, the fact that he spoke to him at Midbar Sinai, and there the Chumash refers to it as Bimidbar. So why would you call it Bamidbar? So this um, was a peeve of mine for a long time, but it actually makes a lot of sense, and even though it's not really um, uh, as relevant to what we normally discuss here, I'll just let you know anyway, that... The reason why in the Chumash it's referred to as Bimidbar Sinai is because that, that those two words are smichas. They're juxtaposed words that go together, Bimidbar Sinai. In that phrase, it would be Bimidbar, Bimidbar Sinai. But if it's just by itself, which is when we refer to the title, um, and we're just using one word to refer to the name of the Parsha and Chumash, in the Sefer, we call it just Bimidbar, so that would be Bamidbar, um, not Bimidbar. So now some would refer to the name as the as the, uh, the name of the parsha as um, Bimidbar Sinai, in which case it probably should be Bimidbar. But if it's ever by itself, it really shouldn't be Bimidbar; it should be Bamidbar. Now that's just in terms of of splitting hairs in terms of the pronunciation of the word and how you would spell it if you're writing it, um, and or if you're transliterating it. But what we're going to focus on is the connotations of this otherwise seemingly bland name. That the, that the book is uh, named in the desert, in the wilderness. Like most of the Chumash takes place in the, in the wilderness, in the desert. So why is that the name of this book? So that's one thing that we have to talk about. But also this name of the Sefer is also going to help us resolve an even larger issue. The issue which I refer to as the time travel that takes place in Sefer Bamidbar at large. Right, the, the normal um, rule that we're familiar with, at least from Chazal, that ain muktum muhar Torah, that there's no that the Torah does not have a before or an after. There's no chronology in Torah, which is obviously an exaggerated way of saying that sometimes the Torah veers from chronology. So we know that even though the Ramban is very conservative about how he applies that rule, in fact he almost never applies it, nowhere nearly as much as Rashi does, even Ibn Ezra will apply it here and there later in Sefer Bamidbar, the Ibn Ezra is going to use it. Um, but the Ramban almost never concedes. But here in Sefer Bamidbar, there are a couple of places where even the, even the Ramban has to admit that the Torah has, in fact, veered from chronology. And that is because the Torah in Sefer Bamidbar gives, uh, on more than one occasion, it gives us a calendar date telling us when a certain event took place. And there it's very evident that the chronology is off. So, for example, the very first Pasuk in Bamidbar gives us a calendar date telling us it's on the first of the second month, that would be on the, the second year, let's say, from the Exodus. So that's when that's taking place. But then you, you, know, you fast forward, for example, to Pesach Sheni in Parshas Baaloscha in Parak Tess, so far, same starting. The second year, which is the same year that we're referencing now, Let's say some merits Mitzrayim, but when? Bechodesh Arishon, Lamor. That was on the first month, which would be Nisan, which means the Chumash jumped back a month. 
And we see we see a lot of this, um, you know, um, in Sefer Bamidbar, that the, the Bamidbar is recording stories right and left that are not in order. And just because there might be a rule out there that, that you have at your disposal, that ain't mokdim amuchar batorah, that doesn't tell us why the Torah should abandon chronological order. Why, you know, like you don't just say ain't mokdim amuchar willy-nilly, that you just, whenever, whenever, whenever you want, you could just say it goes out of order. Like there has to be an agenda, there has to be a reason. So what about Sefer Bamidbar lends itself to this kind of a, of, of a structure, seeming lack of structure, why would, we, uh, why would we have that? So this is one of the big questions that we have to address. And while we do that, we also have to constantly be thinking about, obviously, the Parsha in, um, as, as a whole, what, what Parsha's Bamidbar is about. But beyond that, what Sefer Bamidbar is about, the book at large. And even wider than that, Bamidbar on the larger map of the Torah. And really, so the Parsha of Bamidbar on the larger map of the Torah and the Sefer of Bamidbar on the larger map of the Torah. What are we trying to accomplish? What is the Chumash trying to communicate to us at this particular point? In this Parsha, in this Sefer, all of that has to be addressed. But we'll first have to acknowledge and thank our sponsors. So we have Anonymous And thank you also to Yonah and Chana Elaster on their second sponsorship. And if you want to join them and sponsor, all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data, then base, B-E-I-S, at gmail.com to donate today. Now, let's talk about the Parsha. So we already have plenty on our plate. And while we unravel and unpack the Parsha, let's talk about the basic summary of what Bamidbar is about. The most obvious themes that we have in Bamidbar, we, we said earlier there are a lot of numbers. That is, in fact, because Bamidbar does begin with a census, um, and that gives us a sense of the number of Klal Yisrael, how many there were. And the Chumash presents that. We also get the formation. So we get the numbers and we get the positioning of Klal Yisrael, the encampments of the Bnei Yisrael as they journey through the Midbar. So that's the basic overall um, summary of Bamidbar. Now let's break it down into smaller components. So the specifics of the Parsha, I have five sections. And some of these sections lend themselves to their own mini-questions, which we'll try to address as we get to them. So for example, we start off with section one, which is the census, which also has its own mini-section, which has the names of all of the Nesim. The Chumash enumerates the tribal leaders of Kalah Israel, And we also get the numbers of all the Shvatim minus Levi. All right, so this again takes place on the first day of the second month, which is Iyar. Um, which is, so it's the second Iyar from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And um, of course, Levi is not counted with the Bnei Israel for various reasons. Section 2, we have the actual commandment for the appointment of the Levium. When in history this took place, again, it's not always clear in the Chumash, but here the Chumash portrays and communicates the command for the appointment of Shevet Levi to do their services, they're appointed. After that, we get the formation of the encampments, section 3 of the formation of the encampments, and we get the total number for each encampment. So when we talk about an encampment, as opposed to tribes, which we counted earlier, the positioning of the encampments, each encampment was made of three tribes. So, for example, one encampment would um, contain um, and, be, and would constitute uh, and consist of Sheva Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zavul, and that would be one encampment. And another encampment would have three different Shvatim. So, 
we have all the encampments. Now, what's interesting is section section four. We go back to Levi. So again, we have the census of Klaistro, we had the appointment of Levi, now we have the formation of the encampment of all the tribes. And then number section four, we go back to Levi for the census of Shevet Levi. And in this section, we also have the tribal leader, which is really, um, I guess, Moshe and Aaron, but Aaron's, I guess, considered to be the Nasi of, of, of Shevet Levi. And we have the actual appointments of all of the Levian. In this section, we also have the command that the Levi takes the place of the Bukhar, the Chumash reminds us that Hashem sort of bought all of the Bechorim in Mitzrayim, and they all need a Pediyah or a Pedion, they need to be redeemed. And that's a separate mitzvah of, 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 of Pedion HaBen, for example. But Levi now takes the role, the Avoda aspect that would have gone to the Bechorim, or the Bechoros, goes to Levi. We get the numbers of Sheva Levi, and then we have that um, the formal redemption and exchange of the firstborns for the Levian. All of that is in this section four. Now, side question that you might have had is, um, you know, why in fact did the command to appoint Levi precede the formation of the encampments? Because right? the formation of the encampments actually seems to interrupt the two Levi sections. The first Levi section is the appointment of Levi, or at least the command for it. The second one is the census of Levi, which also includes the appointment of the Levian. So why would you have the formation of the encampments, you know, you're kind of stripped in between? So what you, what you might have to answer is that part of the appointment of Levi was the formation of the tribal encampments around the Mishkan. That um, when Hashem commands, okay, here's the appointment, I'm, I'm now commanding you to appoint Levi, part of that is positions. Everyone has to be exactly where they belong. So right after that we get the encampments, because what do the encampments revolve around? The encampments revolve around the Mishkan. And who serves in there? Levi. So part of the appointment of Levi includes their place in the encampment, in the center. This is going to be very important for addressing our larger question. So keep this on the back burner, just so you have this on your mind, that um, the, the, the formation of all the encampments, this is going to be very big in explaining the larger theme of Bindadvar. So, so hold on to that as we continue the specific components of the Parsha, of which we have only one more. So we, so far we have four sections. We had one, the census of Kleistra, the tribal leaders. Section two, we had the commandment of the appointment of Levi. Three, we have the formation of the encampments. Four, we had the census of Levi and all the different aspects of Levi, how they're being exchanged, um, how, how the, they're ex- being the, um, ex- uh, they, they are the subject of which the Bechor are being exchanged for. So they're becoming the new um, heads of Avoda. Section five, we have the job description of Kahas, the Levitic family of Kahas. And then we're told that they, that they are in charge of carrying the Kalim of the Ohel Moed and all of the Clay Kodesh. Right, so um, Clay Kodesh is not just a, a genre of jobs you know, for, for a young Musmach, a young Rebbe or Rabbi, um, but it's, you know, Clay Kodesh refers to the objects of the Mishkan. They were the original um, Clay Kodesh. Now, that's going to be its own um, issue that we have to address because Bamidbar, um, at the very end, gives us the job description of Kahas, but we know there were three Levitic families, Gershon, Kahas, and Mirari. So it only gives us the description of Kahas. We do not hear about the job description of Gershon and Mirari until Parshas Nasso, which is next week's Parsha. So why would that be? 
So we'll, we'll, we'll have to address that. Why, why, why wouldn't you put them all in the same parsha? So also keep that on the back of your mind. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit that, Be'ez Ras Hashem. Um, so now that we've, uh, we've under, uh, now that we've listed all of the components of the parsha and we uh, started addressing some of our questions, we have to really um, return to the larger questions on our parsha. So let's, let's go back to that. And again, the question is really, it's, it's, it's two questions in one. One is the, you know, the seeming lack of order in Sefer Bamidbar. And if you think about what or the contents of Bamidbar, it's really hard. Bamidbar is a hard book to figure out overall. Like, what is the subject of Bamidbar? We, we look for structures in the Chumashim. And we've been able to identify that, especially looking at our panoramic view, as we've always done. So, Bereshis, you know, is basically, it's the genesis, it's the beginning. We've discussed that at length, how we got from God's creation of the world to the acts of mankind, their contributions and the lack thereof, and maybe their hindrances of Hashem's creation. So we spoke plenty about that. And then we got to Hashem's first family, and which they would become a nation in Sefer Shmos. And Shmos was really that the continuation, as the Ramban says, it's Sefer Hashemi, Sefer Gula. It's the, it's, the, it's the continuation of the story in Bereshis. And we said that we reached a certain peak in the end of Shmos. And then that, and we pick up from that peak in Sefer Vayikra, which we spoke about for the past few weeks. All right, so... Um, which um, was really the, the past 10 plus weeks which we were, we've been involved in Sefer Vayikra. So now where are we? Because again, we're, we have calendar dates um, suggesting that we're not exactly where we were before. So where are we now? And how do we get here? And what's this book about? And why is it called Mamidbar? Like Vayikra kind of took place in, in the Midbar, didn't it? Didn't a lot of Shemos take place in the Midbar too? All of Devarim is also going to take place kind of at the Midbar. You could say, oh, it's at Arvos Moab. Okay, fine, it's at the Plains of Moab. But, but Midbar is certainly not the only place where we find the Midbar. Granted, all, everything that happens in Bamidbar takes place in the Midbar. But what sets the Midbar apart as the Parsha of desert events and wilderness uh, happenings you know, beyond the other Parshias or the other Sfarim, the other Chumashim? And what's this book really a book about? How is the beginning of Bamidbar really an intro, an appropriate intro to the rest of the contents, right? Talk about the panoramic view of Sefer Bamidbar. Bamidbar starts in one place and it ends in a very different place. It's, it's very interesting. We have the tribal encampments and the census, and then all of a sudden, you know, in Nusso, we're going to see um, a couple of interesting law topics that seemingly come out of nowhere. And then... By the time you hit Bahaloscha and then Shlach and Korach, very clearly we're going to see unfolding before our very eyes a series of unfortunate events which were, you know, it's, if you didn't know better, which we might know better, we do know better, but they're otherwise unforeseen. Like they, they could not have been predicted from what was uh, at least, from, um, you know, looking at it, from a, a short-term view, at least from the beginning of Bamidbar, it would have been very hard to predict the catastrophes and the tragedies that were going to unfold throughout Sefer Bamidbar. The beginning of Bamidbar looks pretty nice and clean. I mean, it's, it's pretty boring too. It's just a bunch of numbers. 
And, you know, it's like a schematics, a blueprints. You stand here, you stand there. So what's going on? Like, like, what's this book about? How do we get from, you know, counting the Jews, putting them all in their places, and then all the explosive events that take place from the Bnei Israel complaining and this Parsha complaining and that Parsha, and this rebellion and this Parsha, the rebellion and that Parsha, you know, and this Avera and that Avera, that national sin, the other national sin. So how did this, you know, occur? And like, where, where did this all come from? So Sefer Bamidbar as a whole, how do we get here? How do we get to where we are in the beginning of Bamidbar? How do we get to the, from, from point A to point B within Bamidbar? And then there's, of course, you know, the, the question that we've, uh, we began addressing of the time travel issue. You know, sometimes we have, um, you know, um, scenes that are clearly out of place. And where chronology is not what hooks them together, there's got to be something else. So in addressing all of these questions, I want us not to forget the panoramic view of the Torah as we've been presenting it till now. And that is that, you know, we said that Hashem created the world with the intention of, of bestowing the ultimate good upon some recipient, which would be mankind. Of course, mankind after generations failed, and Hashem decided to isolate one man through whom the world could be blessed. Um, one man by himself is hard, so he had to become a family. Became a family, eventually became a nation. Now this nation would be Hashem's uh, nation through whom the, the entire world could be blessed, but this nation also struggles sometimes to be that beacon for the world. So they have to go through tests and jump through hoops, which they do in Mitzrayim, and then they, they finally get the Torah, they reach the peak, yay. But then, of course, just like Adam and Gan Eden, when he was at the peak, so Klai, Shalat, Harsina, they also were at the peak and they messed up, the golden calf, but then they were restored to their former glory when they built the Mishkan. Vayikra told us all about how to deal with the Mishkan. How do you serve God in and out of the Mishkan? Um, but how do you approach Hashem? We spoke about all of that at length. Okay, so now we're up in Midbar. And then just a bunch of bad stories happen after we count everyone. Basically, by midway is count everyone and then a bunch of bad stories. So how do we get here? What's the what, what's going on? Um, you know, how, um, well, what is the flow? What is what is the implication of Sefer Bamidbar on the Torah at large? Everything that preceded it, God's master plan, as we've uh, worked so hard to present it just now. So. The answer, I think, part of the answer is to understand, if you want to know where Bamidbar is coming from, we have to go back and see where the other Chumashim are coming from, which we've done some work just now to do, but I want to put it into different words and different, a different format. And that format is to suggest that there is an edifice. Every book of Chumash revolves around an edifice. Really, um, and, um, I've heard approaches offered by the likes of Rabbi Yitzchak at Shalom, who is usually is often very innovative, so you know I I, I sometimes I get weary, uh, but um, but some of his ideas are very compelling, um, and certainly in terms of his explanation of the the chumashim as different pieces of a prism, right? When we talk about parades, pshadrash, ramesh, sod, um, so we've spoken about how their prisons are different ways of looking at the Chumash, HaHadadarsh and the Chumash. We have this also in the Torah at large, that really the five books of Chumash are a prism, and there are five different perspectives, five different audiences, perhaps five different um, ways to communicate Hashem's Ratzon to different kinds of individuals. So um, I'll explain what this means soon. Um, and I'll come back to, so, you know, actually, I'll explain it right now, and I'll come back to what I was saying earlier about the edifice in each book. But basically, 
Rabbi Yashalom suggested that, you know, Bereshus speaks to the family of Kalal Yisrael. You know, it's, it's, it's family-oriented. And this is true very clearly. You look at the book, it's all about the family dynamics. But Shamos speaks to the nation, right? And then Vayikra, in a certain sense, um, speaks to the ritualistic aspect. It speaks to the leaders. And he says that, um, he says that Bamidbar uh, speaks to tribes. It's not exactly nation at large, and it's not exactly family, but it's tribal dynamic. And it's very clear, you look through the entirety of Bamidbar, and it's all about tribal dynamic. Um, Korach's rebellion is about that. The Benos Tzalafchot is all about the tribal dynamics. It's, it's all over the place. So uh, this is, and so if the Chumash is trying to speak to two different, to five different groups, for example, and Devarim will be a separate discussion, which we're not going to have now, but um, they're they're different, um, they're they're different perspectives, different groups, different you know different collectives that the Torah speaks to, and so that's one aspect to think about when we think about um, um, this this book, and which might explain why. The Chumash is presented in a certain way. But what it perhaps does not fully address is the lack of chronology. Maybe it somewhat does, right? The tribal dynamics we we learn from the beginning um, of Bamidbar about the encampment, how things are supposed to look, how many there are of everyone, and they're counted by tribes, certainly. So thematically, this is certainly true. And maybe theme, thematic, is part of why the Chumash sometimes veers from chronology. It's to tell us that we're focusing on a larger theme as opposed to just giving you a report, just giving you um, um, a, an account of what's happening. You know, the, the Chumash will, will sometimes prefer to push some kind of theme. And perhaps the theme here is tribes, which um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just want to take it a step further. And by taking it a step further, that is to suggest that each Chumash, once again, as I said before, revolves around some edifice. Some edifice that's a perfect project, a perfect model, but it gets ruined by someone. So in Bereshus, the edifice was the world. Hashem created the world, right? There was Adam in Gan Eden. Hashem created the world, perfect world, and nothing wrong with it. But then mankind stepped out of line, and then they kind of ruined things. Um, through the um, the sin in Gan Eden, Kain and Havel, then the uh, you know the Dor Hamabul, the Dor Haflaga, we can throw in the Dor Enosh as well, and a bunch of problems. And then there was the family dynamics you know, with Avraham, leading up all the way to Yosef and his brothers. Fine, but there was a beautiful edifice. That edifice was um, you know the world, and then it got ruined. Okay, Shemos, the edifice was really the revelation of the Shekhinah. Once the Shekhinah was Shora upon Harsinai and Klai Yisrael had received the Torah, the, so that was the new edifice, the revelation at Harsinai, the, the, the plateau we reached at that time. And that was ruined by the Chete Egel, right? Once we, we finally climbed back up the mountain, um, so to speak, um, and also we didn't actually go on Harsinai, right? But once we climbed back up the mountain, then we fall off again with the Chete Egel. Now, what about Vayikra? So Vayikra picks up with a brand new edifice at the end of, of Shemos. We have the Mishkan, the recreation of Harsinai, as the Ramban puts it. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Nadav and Avihu. 
right? So then we have a beautiful edifice, but then it gets disturbed, it gets interrupted. So, you know, the, the perfect project, um, it, get, it, gets, um, you know, it's, uh, it, get, it gets ruined. So now, where are we? Because the whole rest of Vayikra, right? So the, the whole rest of Bereshis, for example, the whole, uh, the whole end of Bereshis is picking up the scraps from original sin. The whole end of Shemos is picking up the scraps from the Chet Ego, which ruined the Sinai experience. The whole rest of Vayikra, after Nadav Neviyu, is picking up the scraps from Nadav Neviyu. What's the proper way to approach Hashem? Okay, so now that we know this, what is Bamidbar? What is the edifice of Sefer Bamidbar, Parshas Bamidbar? The edifice is the tribal encampment of Klaistral, you guessed it, around the Mishkan. They're all around the Mishkan, right? So just like in Vayikra, we had the Mishkan. We learned about there being a right and wrong way for certain individuals to approach Hashem in the Mishkan. So what is Bamidbar a book about? And how can we explain sometimes the seeming lack of order? Why does the Chumash prefer a story here, a general story that takes us back in time, going back to really like the beginning of Klaistral's travels? And the answer is because the Chumash is trying to perhaps to push this, this picture, this theme, this, this edifice, that we have the perfect arrangement of Klaistral, the Shifte Yisrael, around the Mishkan, everyone standing exactly where they are, and then, who would ruin it? And the answer is, a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of events would ruin it. Klaishal complaining in Baha'alosicha, the, you know, we have the Maraglim, we have Korach, everyone stepping out of their boundaries. And this dynamic seems to be the hardest one to work with. Right of all of the, the the beautiful edifices that we find in the beginning of each sefer, whether it's the world at large, or it's the revelation at Sinai, or it's the Mishkan, the formation of Klai Israel is the Shvatim around the Mishkan, which in some ways is the most beautiful, but it's also the most difficult, the most delicate, the um, you know the, the most complicated to maintain. When this group, right, when we think about tribalism. Right, there's no shortage of that nowadays. But that's the thing that gets us riled up. Right? We don't need to go into politics, but that's that's where it's at. I'm looking at you, politics. But uh, but we but we have we are we suffer from tribalism. It makes you wonder why Hashem would have created such a design of tribalism, knowing that we have this weakness, this deficiency, um, in this battle for supremacy, that our tribe should be the winning tribe. But that's what Bamidbar is a book about. And the rest of Bamidbar is going to have to be picking up the scraps from people stepping out of, out of line, not knowing their boundaries, not knowing their place. Chumash in, in Bamidbar picks up, it starts off, it kicks off with each person standing in their place. How long can they do that for? How long can each person sta- stay in their place, know their role? And learn to, you know, keep their mouth shut sometimes. So we're going to see a whole bunch of events where that doesn't take place, unfortunately, and that makes Sefer Bamidbar one of the most uncomfortable uh, portions of the Torah to read. But now that we know what we're looking at and looking for, we can think about how to pick up the scraps in our own life, obviously, but also we can look 
for where things seem to go awry in Sefer Bamidbar, where, where, where do things seem to get ruined, but also be on the lookout because although the unfortunate events of Sefer Bamidbar are, speak the loudest, there is going to eventually be a turnaround. And that turnaround, when we consider this larger map of Bamidbar, has to make a difference to us. We have to notice if, if, if all the noise of Bamidbar catches our attention. It's reasonable, it's understandable, but we have to be able to see where the edifice is reestablished. And it happens somewhere before we get to the end. So I want you to be on the lookout for that. You know, in a, in a world of a lot of negative, it's hard to notice the positive. But it does exist in, in Bamidbar, and Bezras Shem are going to find it together. Now, we're basically at the end. But what I want to just remind you, as always, if you have any questions you want to pick up, um, you know, you can always reach me at the database at gmail.com. It's the data the base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. If you have any comments, any recommendations, any suggestions, any, any questions, Happy to continue the conversation. But one question that we should really return to is why at the very end of Parshas Bamidbar, right, we talk about organization, things being in the right place. It's very strange that the Chumash begins to tell us the job descriptions of each of the Levitic families, but it only gives us one. Bamidbar ends, as we mentioned earlier, with the job description of Kahas. And it's not till Parshas Nasso that it's going to tell us the job descriptions for Gershon and Merari. And it's kind of irritating, because the Chumash did not have to put Kahas in Bamidbar. Right? We could have had, the way we separate the Parshios, Bamidbar could have ended before we get to the job descriptions of the Levitic families, and Nasso could begin with, with Kahas and Gershon and Merari. Leave all three in the same Parsha. Or if the Chumash really wanted to start the conversation about the job descriptions of the Levitic families, it could have just begun and finished the process. But Midbar should end with Kahas, Gershon, and Merari. Give us all of their job descriptions. But what it does is it kind of splits them. We have Kahas in one parsha; he's separated, and then we have Gershon and Merari in the other parsha. So why exactly is that the case? Like, well, why, why does the Chumash do that? So... You know, I don't really like to leave you off on a cliffhanger. Oh, who am I kidding? Of course I do. So yeah, you're going to have to tune in next week to Parshas Nasso, Parsh Panorama, to get the answer to that question. But in the meantime, all of that takes us through Parshas Bamidbar and the opening of Sefer Bamidbar. And with that, I wish you a wonderful Shabbos and also a wonderful Shavuos coming up Sunday night. Bezer HaShem Latova. All the best to you. Thanks for joining us here at Parsha Panorama. And thank you for joining us here at the database.